Hello and welcome to the Boys Who Brunch podcast, a podcast for munching while taking a stroll through history. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron, the brunchiest of the boys. And I'm Elaine, the boysiest of the brunch. And right now, it sounds like some time for some intro music. Jack the Ripper, Stonehenge, <laughs> JFK's assassination, Nancy Drew. What's today's theme? Today's theme is mysteries in history. Oh, oh, that's why you're talking about all these these beautiful mysterious people. Yeah, Mystery. they all have something in common. Isn't that crazy? Boys who brunch take on mysteries. I don't know if I'm ready for this. So here's the thing: we're human. What's the thing? Mm-hmm. And as humans, we can't have all the answers. Naturally. Therefore, the three little dots what in do the we triangle. Have? Therefore, what do we, have? <laughs> we have mysteries uh, in our history I see. I see where and in our set, current please. lives. So what are some mysteries going on in your life right now? Well, that's my question to you first, Elaine. What is a mystery going on in Elaine's life well, right, right now? Well, right now, I'm responsibly socially distancing in my childhood home. And being here with my mm-hmm. family, it reminds mm-hmm. me of the great ants in your pants mystery that struck <laughs> that struck the Witten household circa 2006. Okay. So circa. my sister Grace and I are playing detective. I am Nancy Drew. She is Nancy Drew's sister. Are you like playing any of the sap for for the podcast? Is this real? <laughs> like you actually are playing Nancy Drew? Like, this is real. Be we, honest to our literally. People. Okay, here's the thing. I I went to Norwood Library, which is down the block of my house, small mm-hmm. little library, and I would borrow literally twelve Nancy Drew books at once. Like we would hit the limit of books to borrow because it was a small library, so it was a pretty small limit, and it would all be Nancy Drew books, and I'd finish them all by the end of the week. I loved Nancy Drew. Um, but yeah, we're playing Nancy Drew. I'm Nancy Drew. And the case is ants in the hamper. We found ants in the hamper. The source of it, my dad's pants, which harnesses several questions. Was Mm -hmm. someone sabotaging my father? Who were his enemies in the household? Who would have a motive to put ants in my dad's pants? Was my dad's... Like, you're talking about there's an ant trail, right? So, like, was there food in his pants? Or was they just, like, randomly just, just wait. a pile of ants? This is, you, gotta, you gotta wait for, like, a Nancy Drew book. It's like a Nancy Drew book. You can't just skip to the end. Like, see if you can solve it before I give out the answer. So, okay. <laughs> was my dad secretly ant farming? Where would he keep his ant farm, if so? So, mm-hmm. we collected suspects and testimonies. We talked to my brother, my little brother, mm-hmm. who has... Who was how old at the time? He was... At the- <laughs> <laughs> At this point, probably three. I don't know. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> we talked to my mother. Sure. We talked to my grandparents. None of them really have strenuous relationships with my father on the surface. Wait, wait. Say that again. You were like, you like actually broke up. Um, none of them really have strenuous relationships. Oh, so, with okay. My none dad. of them. I, I, I didn't hear the word none, and I was. They're, you're so, like, they all scared to <laughs> Like, I, I talked to only the people that had strenuous relationships <laughs> with my dad, including I his, his three year old son, his wife, and his parents. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough in 2006. It was rough. <laughs> um, so, we had this breakthrough clue. We find a honey stain on my dad's pants. Okay. So, we know that the ants are in his pants because of honey. But this unleashes another unsolved mystery. I will say there's no answer to this one. Who got honey on my dad's pants and why? We still haven't ruled out a saboteur. Dare I say <laughs> it was your dad? Cameron, as I was saying, there were, there were strenuous relationships occurring in my household circa 2006. So sure, sure, we sure. cannot rule out a saboteur. And this is All an right. unsolved mystery to this day. Of 2020. So, your mystery? Oh, a mystery going on in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm also going to be pulling back the curtains of this podcast once again uh-huh. and say that Elaine and I take notes on a Google Doc, so she obviously knows what my mystery is oh already. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> no way. 
but One will that die. Being, I've she, never been I know she's I know she's gonna feel called out for what I'm about to say, but it is a mystery, okay? It's like I've been numb to the pain of being called out by Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm numb to it. So um basically I guess like I send I send a lot of pictures to my friends if you're a friend that has seen it, then you already know. But um I've been really into gardening lately mm-hmm. during, <laughs> during, during, this qu- <laughs> <laughs> during this quarantine I've been really into like gardening or whatever so I planted um some like one dollar seed like seeds from like a market of sunflowers um into the ground the ground that I hoed and water every day and here we are like a month and a half later or so with like sunflowers that are as big as their dad like maybe even slightly bigger, like dare I say six feet tall, and I am just a a little old five ten and three quarters. <laughs> um so <laughs> and like they're fully blooming and they're beautiful and I love them so much. Anyways, I sent these pictures of the ma- of my babies to Elaine Huen, who I thought was my friend, and she decided okay. to she saw these pictures and she immediately responds with What did I do? My cousin's sunflower got stolen. What That's did what I she do said. but issue a warning laced with courtesy and kindness and care because I didn't want your sunflowers to get stolen. You should have seen her face when she told me the story. She was scarred. It's a scarring event when your sunflowers get stolen, okay? So, like, the thing is, is, like, when I send these pictures of my beautiful sunflower babies to other people, uh-huh. they're like, oh my god, that's so cute. And then when I send uh-huh. it to Elaine, <laughs> to Elaine, the first thing she's like, my cousin's sunflowers got stolen. <laughs> this was a mystery within my own life. Okay, this is a mystery because, like, why would Elaine <laughs> want to incite paranoia into this father that is otherwise very happy about his Who has babies? tilled the earth. So this this leads me to some questions that I've been I've been thinking about lately. <laughs> is she genuinely concerned about my babies? Does she want to instigate paranoia because she's secretly chaotic evil? Did she steal her cousin's sunflowers and she's threatening mine? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The accusations <laughs> being flying in my face. Like you saying that you should see like the fear of my cousin when like your sunflower gets stolen. Uh-huh. It's like, I'm sure you did see the fear lane, and I'm sure you relished in it. Well, some things remain a mystery. Some things will remain a mystery. I guess so. So, Cameron, I mm-hmm. don't think our table is ready. Why don't is we grab not? a drink at the brunch bar? Oh my god, I'm Dara. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to The Brunch Bar, a new segment of the Boys Who Brunch podcast in which we dish about the drinks we are currently partaking. So, Cameron, what drink are you currently partaking? So, Elaine already knows what drink I'm partaking in. It's really impressive. I'm going to pull I'm going to pull back the curtains on this podcast and say that I just couldn't hold it in until I exclaimed what I was making or partaking in uh-huh. um, at The Brunch Bar. So, I'm drinking a chamomile-infused vodka cocktail um, from the chamomile in my own my own garden, mind you. It's like the way this man is drinking vodka for breakfast. <laughs> I mean, I'm drinking a cocktail for breakfast. So uh-huh. um, what you do is you get cam- fresh chamomile from your garden. From your garden specifically. From Cameron's garden. From Cameron's garden. I, I planted this chamomile. She grew into a beautiful bunch of chamomile it's just I'm so proud of her um basically you just put her in vodka you just like let her be in vodka for like 12 hours and that's called steeping you just like let it be for like 12 hours in this vodka and then you drain out all the chamomile and then you just have like this like yellow looking vodka and then um you make a cocktail out of it so I put um some seltzer water. I got a lemon from a lemon tree in my backyard. Um, and simple syrup, because it's a cocktail, and every cocktail needs simple syrup. Um, so yeah. 
I was gonna just do chamomile tea for this brunch bar sesh, but then I was like, I want alcohol. So yeah. here we are. How about you, Elaine? What are you drinking I have, here at the brunch bar? I have a green juice. I have a smoothie. And okay. smoothie tip that you never asked for. If you just add a banana, mm-hmm. it'll be great. I'm going to challenge that statement. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dare I say I will hear you bananas out. make smoothies worse? Okay. <laughs> go on, go on. It just makes it strangely creamy. I just don't know if I care for like the creaminess. Yeah. You put one banana in your smoothie and it's a banana smoothie, like you can't hide That's the banana. What I'm thinking. Exactly. Um yeah. But it does cover greens. It covers the taste of greens. Alright, so that's what we're drinking at the bar. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Now we're going on to Elaine's story. Well, that was an amazing time at the brunch bar. I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. Elaine, what mystery you got for us today? Well, Cameron. Yeah. This piece, to quote Tatiana, is entitled Same parts. <laughs> From Fiji Mermaid to Mermaids colon the body found. So the inspiration for this mystery, this story. Um, oh, I know the inspiration of this story. <laughs> to pull the curtains. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this. Okay, I realize we've been pulling the curtains back yeah. at this podcast like, more often. What's the point than... of the curtain anymore? <laughs> what's the point of the let's curtains the, anymore? We'll put the curtain but, back. We'll put the curtain. I back. mean, no, 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 no. Let's let's pull it back. Let's pull it back. Okay. Elaine okay. and I ob- obviously have talked about like generally what our mysteries are. Like she'll she'll give me more in depth. But just hearing the um the title of her mystery the first thing i texted you was did you watch mermaid the body found documentary because she said i'm going to be talking about mermaids yeah and i just remember this being an absolute cultural reset if we want to use that phrase or whatever yeah like an absolute moment and like i forget if it was like junior high or like fifth grade or something but it was just like literally everyone believed in mermaids and Uh like honestly who was i to say say no to them it's like were you american if you weren't talking about a mermaid at the year of sure. 2012, 11, 10. Exactly. Okay, teach me more. I'm sure you know more than so, me about yes. that was so long ago. Um, my freshman year of high school. I am naive. Mm-hmm. I am un-American because I don't believe in mermaids. I wasn't even talking <laughs> <Okay>. about <laughs> I'm in my Spanish class. Spanish one with Miss Alvarez. Now, Miss Alvarez, she's a pretty shy teacher. She's clearly overwhelmed. It's her first year teaching us and we were a rough class. But mm-hmm. one day, she really comes into being. She really comes into herself. And this is mm-hmm. when she goes on a tirade about how mermaids are real. And she says she's, sure. she saw this documentary on it. And she lists evidence. She's like, yeah, there's, there's a body of a mermaid that the government owns. There are pictures online. And these are real mermaids. They don't look like the cartoon. They don't look like Ariel. They're ugly mermaids, but they're real and then she shows us clips of the aforementioned documentary Mermaids Colon the Body Found. And she finishes this tirade with, and the Illuminati assassinated JFK. She's completely serious oh, okay. throughout all of this. She's absolutely serious throughout all of this. No jokes, no laughter, no smiles. Um, and so this, remembering this documentary of Mermaids the Body, the body Found, um... At the age of 13, I was slightly convinced that mermaids were real, and I was a little, I was a little embarrassed that I thought mermaids were real, but that those clips really, um, they really hit, hit a, a bone in my body. <laughs> what are you saying right now? <laughs> <laughs> There's a transition just made. It really hit a bone in my body. And I was thinking for this mystery podcast, why don't we really dig into whether the mystery of whether mermaids are real. So now we are now we're currently floating in a time traveling bubble to the early eighteen hundreds. Wait, wait, what's bubble sounds? What sounds? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So so the myth of the mermaid was likely created by a Japanese fisherman, either as a joke, haha, or from the influence of similar religious figures within Japanese and East Indian villages. 
So during the 1810s, a Japanese fisherman was believed to have sewn the torso of an orangutan onto a salmon tail, and he sold it to a Dutch merchant as a mermaid corpse. And this Dutch merchant truly believed it was a mermaid corpse. So eventually, through some time, an American gets his hands on it. In fact, he sells his ship to buy it. And being, I know, being the enterprising American he is, this American, his last name is Eads, he puts the mermaid on display in Cape Town in order to earn enough money to travel home because he's sold his ship to buy it. News Mm -hmm. spreads via newspaper about the mermaid and it gains some popularity. He's able to return home with the money he earns. Um, He arrives in London in September 1822 with the mermaid and he sets it up for display at a coffee house where it attracts hundreds of people. At this point, he's on a roll, and with enhanced mojo of this newly founded prophet, he gets two big-name naturalists to examine it, and they both proclaim it's fake. So, he then consults two um, less prominent naturalists who attest to its authenticity, and maybe these naturalists do it for a cash tip, maybe they actually think it's real because they're mediocre naturalists, Either way, oh. Eads has either way Eads has effectively finessed an authentic authentication of his mermaid, and he takes this as permission to claim that one of the more prominent naturalists, Sir Everard Home, also attested to its authenticity. When in reality, only he didn't. Less prominent naturalists did. You know, and this is a lesson to our viewers. I mm-hmm. think if one person says no, just go to another person and they might exactly. say Exactly. And that yes becomes an umbrella yes. It's a universal yes. Um, so Home is outraged. He's like, how dare you use my name for this fake mermaid? And so he publi- publicly denounces the mermaid and calls Eads a fraud. People don't like fakers, so this mermaid loses popularity. The mermaid fantasy is lost until the 1840s. And the 1840s is when P.T. Barnum enters the story. Did you watch The Greatest Showman? Did I watch the... Are you asking me? Yes. Did I watch The Greatest Showman? Yes. Am I... Zendaya. Gonna be... Am I, like, a terrible person if I say no? Hugh Jackman. (laughs) Um, You're not. Um, P.T. Barnum is a controversial figure, so I understand if you weren't that into it. Anyways, P.T. Barnum, go back to the story. I want to hear it. So, yeah, P.T. Barnum enters the story at this point in the 1840s. Barnum's friend, Moses Kimball, is a museum proprietor in Boston. And at this point, Barnum has just purchased a museum in New York City. So Mm -hmm. these two friends have their fingers in this new American museum business. And Kimball finds out about this mermaid that has been passed on to Eads. And at this point, Eads has died. His son inherits the mermaid, and he buys it from Eid's son. And Kimball travels to New York City with it, and he asks Barnum if he wants in on the scheme. He's like, hey, I have this quote-unquote mermaid corpse. He, 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 we both know it's not real, but let's make something out of this. Um, Mm -hmm. And so together they engineered a story. They called it the Fiji mermaid, um, implying that it was from, like, the Fiji islands it's like exotic um they made up letters from people in distant states discussing dr griffin's amazing creatures dr griffin does not exist um (laughs) they pulled a stunt where an actor playing dr griffin arrives at a hotel in philadelphia and upon news of his arrival in philadelphia all these reporters flock to this hotel because they're like we need to see dr griffin dr griffin's fake they make this fake fight between Dr. Griffin and Barnum over permissions to display the mermaid. They pretend that Dr. Griffin won't let him display the mermaid. He's like, oh my god, like, this is a very, like, exotic creature. It's dangerous. You shouldn't show it to the public. Barnum's like, I need to do the public a service by displaying it. They have this huge, like, fake fight. Um, And Barnum pretends that Dr. Griffin at the end, wins and does not, he does not get permission to display the mermaid. So he's like, oh, I have all these advertisements now and all these pictures of the mermaid that I was gonna, I was gonna use to build up the event once I displayed it, but since I can't display it anymore, here you can have it for free. And he gives it to all these, these New York media outlets and they're like, oh my god, like this is crazy, let's, let's, um, let's publish it. And so after this like fake fight, um, every New York 
uh, media outlet is displaying advertisements of this mermaid. So yeah, Barnum creates this whole shtick. He like creates this whole story. He builds all this excitement over it. Um, and so he's able to display it in New York to huge audiences. It becomes popular, popular enough to go on tour in the South. Um, it returned to New York, and then its last known place was in Boston um, in Kimball's Museum. But then mm-hmm. Kimball's Museum burned down. Um, but different sources have attested so to the mermaid's fate. Yeah. We don't know if the mermaid also burned down. Some people say it's been retrieved. Um, a Fiji mermaid was donated to Harvard's Peabody's Museum, but it's believed to be fake. So we don't know where the... Um, believed to be fake, as in like fake from the original, because yeah. the original was believed to be fake as so well. So it's double fake. It's not only not a real mermaid, it's not the fake mermaid either. It's not the real wow. fake mermaid. It's a fake, fake mermaid. <laughs> um, yeah, so we don't know where the Fiji mermaid is. Okay. But this story of Barnum and how he was able to concoct all this, like, public excitement for this mermaid. Because here's the thing. If he just displayed the mermaid without all the story building, people would just be like, it's fake. And they would be over it in, like, a matter of a yeah. week. But because he mm-hmm. created all this, like, hubbub before it. Um, the hubbub. The hubbub was was created. Yeah, the hubbub was created and it okay. worked. People were the people were intrigued. I understand now. So it reminded me of, like I said um, earlier, my freshman year of high school when my Spanish teacher Miss Alvarez showed us this documentary and created all this hubbub. And the documentary created hubbub too. The documentary was hubbub, and it really made me believe for a moment that mermaids are real. So to give you guys a look into what this documentary. Um, is like, in case you haven't seen it. The premise is um, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, discovers mysterious sonic waves in the ocean, and it sounds mm-hmm. like communicating. Then they discover dead whales that have mysteriously washed on shore, and they believe the whales have been killed by some sonic attack. Um, they also find yes. weaponry lodged into some of the whales made of bones, and they're like, well, this is not, these aren't made by humans. Who uses yeah. those kinds of who weapons? Could make sonic, wanna, who could make sonic waves in the ocean and also use these weapons? Mermaids. You know what? Dare I say to our viewers, um, if you haven't watched the documentary, maybe you should just stop everything and watch Watch it right now. It's on YouTube. I, like, I remember this documentary so fondly in my life, and I just think it's, like, so important that the rest of the world sees it. I would say it's a, it's a cultural phenomenon, yeah. Exactly. I had an entire discussion um, last night with my family about, um, first of all, why we watched it, because, like, we don't watch Animal Planet, but, like, for some reason we decided this was a documentary that we needed to see. Mm-hmm. And second of all, like, if it was satire or not. I mean, I just had this conversation with Elaine before we started recording, but, like, they really, like, me as, like, a junior higher slash, like, fifth grade or whatever, like, I fully, fully believed that they believed that this was a legitimate documentary. Like, just how, like, people think that, like, the Loch Ness Monster or um, Bigfoot is real. Like, people, like, legitimately believed that um, mermaids are real. And who am I to say that they're wrong or anything? Yeah. Um, But my family, for some reason, did think that it was just intense satire, that they just didn't put a disclaimer in the front of to say that it wasn't. I don't know. It's it's just such an interesting, interesting moment in... In American Animal history. Planet's <laughs> cultural history. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Miss Alvarez was convinced. She showed us this clip. Exactly. And, like, me being 13 and this authority figure telling me mermaids are real and me watching this, like, this Animal Planet clip about mermaids, I'm like, are mermaids real? And then I'm, like, kind of embarrassed. I'm like, do I want to be the person that believes that mermaids are real? Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. And also in the documentary, they get, like, they get this, like, whistleblower to reveal that the government has been covering up evidence of mermaid discoveries. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, once you introduce, like, government mistrust, I feel like people just, like, start believing things. So they're able yeah. to play on, like, play on human nature like that. Um, they have CGI images of mermaids. They've, like, rebuilt this mermaid using, like, fancy forensic technology. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't even, don't even get me started on that. I remember so 
so vividly these CGI apes that yeah. were stranded on this island due to some cataclysmic event, like some kind of, I don't know, earthquake or something that happened in Africa. And then it caused this section of the the land to become mm-hmm. like an island. And then these CGI apes, how do they survive? I don't know evolution and then, <laughs> and then well evolution must mean that they have to eat fish to survive and and it would favor those apes that are able to hold their breath longer so that they can fish more and then eventually led into the fact that well eventually they're able to hold their breath for like longer in like 25 minutes an hour hours on end days on end uh-huh. all of a sudden they're breathing underwater they are mermaids yeah and they're there using like they're using like real scientific theories so that's like a real theory that people like have like it's like I what evolution I'm... no <laughs> yes, yes it's a real... <laughs> yes, and... yes it is a real theory <laughs> there's like I was, when i was doing research there's like like oh i forgot it's called but it's like something ape theory that people like legitimately believe where the apes okay. like were on an island they had to like swim or something um but yeah the world is enraptured and they're confused and they're torn like some people mm-hmm. are legitimately convinced like you and i at that age that mermaids exist, but they're also refusing to be the kind of person that thinks mermaids exist. And that's because mm-hmm. it's not explicitly advertised that the documentary is a work of science fiction structured like a documentary. Boo. Like, yeah, like Paranormal Activity is a scary movie pieced together to look like like security footage. Same, like, sense. This documentary is science fiction pieced together to look like a documentary. Um, okay. Well, were they forced to say that? Was the government holding a gun to their head? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I am telling you, they did not make it clear that it was satire at all. Exactly, I will yeah. admit that at some points I did find it comical, even as a fifth grader or a sixth grader, mm-hmm. because like, I mean, it was just, it was kind of a ridiculous premise, honestly. Yeah. But like, I mean, they did not present it as satire. And if... If they fully thought that that it was that it was science fiction, then I think it was completely irresponsible that they didn't put a disclaimer. Yeah. Um, now that they're going backtracking and being like, no, that was totally science fiction. I'm wondering if it's just because inherently they can't prove or claim that it's science fact. And that remains a mystery to this day. Yeah. I mean, I was reading online threads about it and a lot of people are like you outraged um that they weren't explicitly saying it's science fiction but also this guy from australia said i'm from australia and when i watched it on tv at the at the end of the documentary they said this is science fiction but then he was like it was not enough because like you had to have stayed all the way through the documentary to see that um disclaimer and that disclaimer was like like a two-second scene in the entire documentary irresponsible filmmaking dare i say i see a historical a historical continuity here pt barnum created all this hubbub to make us think mermaids are real and make some money animal planet creating some hubbub to make us think mermaids are real and make some money hmm hmm so the real the real mystery here because this was a this was a mysteries unsolved episode that we were supposed to be looking for the real mystery here that you are presenting it's not our mermaids real it's the mystery of why do people do this <laughs> why do people want to like why do people want to produce a false history and the the answer to that mystery that or the hypothesis of the answer that you are posing is capitalism it all comes down to capitalism there we go. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm this isn't even a tangent. I was about to say I'm going to go off on a tangent. When I was talking about this with my family yesterday and I was like we were going over like what we remembered from the documentary, um one of the things that I explicitly remember is that they had a interviewer from someone who saw the mermaids or like heard the mermaids or something from like I don't know if it was Area 51 or some government facility and it was all piecing together. Guillermo del Toro got inspiration <laughs> for The Shape is Water from this documentary. From Mermaid's Cold and the Body Found. <laughs> there we go. Whether or not you want to say that these people, you know, are just like, you know, they just want money and like they're yeah. promoting like falsified history and falsified science. 
either way, we got an Academy Award winning movie out of it. Exactly. So. <laughs> wow, The Shape of Water was so good, too. Oh, my God. I remember God. watching it in theaters with, I believe it was you. No, you didn't watch it with me. What? You explicitly, like, text, like, the group chat was, we watched Shape of Water without you, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone but you. Okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> <laughs> Which was fine, because I watched it literally before you guys texted me, but it was still, like, why did that need to be mentioned in the group chat like that? <laughs> like, <laughs> um... Yeah, but that's, like, the real thing for the viewers. Honestly, don't watch the documentary. If you could choose one movie, don't watch the docu- documentary, watch. Shape of Water. But if you have time for both, watch both. Oh, yeah, definitely. And in these coronavirus times, who doesn't have time for exactly. both? Okay, Elaine, that was a beautiful mystery that you posed mm-hmm. to us, the viewers, and me, Cameron, mm. the brunch of the boys. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that being said, I think our, our seats are ready. Want to head over to the brunch booth? Ooh. Ding, 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 ding. Those are my feet. Got to go <laughs> to the brunch booth. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Hello folks, and welcome to the brunch booth, another segment of the Boys Who Brunch podcast in which we dish about the dishes we are currently munching on. Elaine Huen. Munch, munch. You're up. You're up, girl. I'm munching. What you munching on? I'm munching on oatmeal. Um, My oatmeal okay. has some granola in it. It also mm-hmm. has a dash of salt, which some people think is mm-hmm. weird, but if you read the instructions on the oatmeal canister, it does say a dash of salt is optional. Um, okay. Yeah. I did, I did mention in a previous podcast, back when we were doing our little baby podcasts, that oatmeal is my mm-hmm. favorite breakfast food. And I still the baby stand boys. by it. Yeah, the baby boys were doing their baby podcasts. Mm-hmm. Now we're now we're fully grown boys. Mm-hmm. Dare I say and men. Dare I say <laughs> I was just gonna say that. <laughs> Can you hear my oatmeal munching? Do you wanna know what I'm munching on Elaine? Oh, were you waiting for me to ask? <laughs> what are you mentioning? I mean, on? I wasn't particularly what waiting, but what are you in- on? instead you decided to go on a tangent of oatmeal ASMR of all things. The, <laughs> the most silent on? the most silent of foods. You <laughs> Oatmeal has smack, bro. It has smack. It has smack to it. Oh, it has no. a sticky texture, so it has smack. Um, but mm, what are you mentioning okay. on camera and <laughs> I am munching on a, a quiche. My my mother made me this quiche this morning. I told I tell my whole household that hey guys, I am doing a boys who brunch mm-hmm. recording, so you know I need to claim the silence or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom wants excuses to cook and so she was like i need to make you something like do you want a quiche and i was like that sounds beautiful so here we are wow um great brunches happening here (laughs) we'll see you back at cameron's story you are the most awkward person (laughs) so some great brunching happening at this booth. Mm-hmm. I would say I'm ready to head over to your story, Cameron, if you want to take it away. Oh, you want to you wanna walk over to my story over here? Yeah. On the other side of the brunch booth? Yeah. Because we're still at this very, very real, but also simultaneously very fictional booth. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, I'll tell you the story, okay? Okay. Anyways, <laughs> I'm going to be telling you the story of the mystery of the exploding teeth. <sighs> Let me say that again for for the viewers in the back. I'm going to be telling you about the mystery of the exploding teeth. Let me gasp again for the viewers in the back. (gasps) Teeth go boom. And Uh why they go boom? Teeth don't go boom? What? No, not normally But teeth don't go boom? That's why it's a mystery. (laughs) 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 Anyways, anyways. um, So I'm here to give you the people and Elaine Huen. A medical, specifically dental, 
-hmm. mystery. (laughs) (laughs) So these several cases that I'm about to be explaining about exploding teeth are um, studies of unheard dental behavior. Obviously, no one's heard of of someone's teeth exploding. I just wanted to put like, obviously, like case studies throughout scientific history have been integral in elucidating medical phenomenon. There's like the famous example of Phineas Fate. Gage. Uh, Phineas Gage, um, who famously had an iron rod piece that was uh, pierced his skull and his brain and his specific case study, Mm. because with personality changes from that incidence, his specific case study taught us as a scientific community um, the functions of the frontal lobes in a human brain and how they're important for complex decision making and social cognition. I heard that. mm, So you know Phineas? Yes, I know Phineas from my psychology class. Exactly, yeah, every, everyone knows Phineas. He's a very, very famous case study. That being said, what do we learn from these exploding teeth case studies? Hmm. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> or at least nothing yet. I mean, that's why it's a yeah. mystery. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm talking about it on our mystery podcast theme. Maybe our teeth have function that we don't know. Exactly. But as of yet, we haven't learned anything about these, but they're fun and interesting to talk about because it's like, whoa, that's crazy. Anyways, let's set the scene. Okay. You ready? You ready for the scene to be set? Yes. So picture it. 19th century United States. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, it's whatever, but it's 19th century United States. Anyways, <laughs> a dentist of the time called W.H. Atkinson came across several interesting cases and decided to document them. For some reason, he was like known as the guy that you go to if your teeth explode. It's like, how common is teeth? our teeth expo- are exploding teeth? Not too common, but not uncommon enough for it to not happen, as I will get into, (laughs) to have a guy. (laughs) And basically, he documented and posted these in an article in um, the Dental Cosmos. Sorry, I had to search through my notes to find that. Anyways, um, so case number one that he documented, Springfield, Pennsylvania, 1817. A priest at the time had an ache in his superior right canine, which in lay terms is the upper right sharp tooth that Mm. is kind of like the the vampire tooth, you know? So this ache increased in intensity so much that Atkinson was, Atkinson documented this priest, quote unquote, going wild. He he documented this priest Mm -hmm. a lot. It seemed like he was there. There's no medical terminology to describe what this man is doing other than going wild. Yeah, I mean... Like, as opposed to the other cases that he talked about, like, this priest was definitely the most documented. And I'm just, I'm going to go into his words for what he meant by saying that the priest was going wild. He Uh said that the priest, during his agonies, he ran about here and there in the vain endeavor to obtain some respite. At one time, boring his head on the ground like an enraged animal. And at another poking it under the corner of the fence and again going to the spring and plunging his head to the bottom in the cold water. Wow. Saying that he's going wild, I feel like was very much warranted given the behavior that he also documented of like, he plunged his head in in a running water, like a spring. He poked it under the corner of the fence. Yeah, which is like, what did that do? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, what really? I mean, that may- maybe the water is like, oh, I, I think water will will soothe my pain, but yeah. like the fence and like, yeah, it's just like this. This priest is just going through a lot. Yeah, it's just not a fun time. It. Anyway, so the following morning after the onset of the ache, um, Atkinson documents that he that the, he the priest was walking the floor in wild de- delirium. And all at once, a sharp crack, like a pistol shot, burst his tooth to fragments and gave him instant relief. At this moment, he turned to his wife and said, my pain is all gone. He went to bed and slept soundly all that day and most of the succeeding night, after which he was rational and well. So Hmm. that, my my friends, Hmm. is the meat of the story. He had such a loud... Crack such a loud burst of his tooth that he akined it to a pistol shot, and his teeth like crumbled into many pieces, and there was immediate relief, and he was no no lasting symptoms since then. He was able to be completely well and fine after that. 
his tooth is gone at this point. It's his tooth gone. is out of his mouth. And it's like a pistol. It's like a firecracker in his mouth. And then all of a sudden it's out. Yeah. It's like if you lost your tooth, how can it hurt? You know? What do you mean by that? It's like if you don't have a tooth, how can your tooth hurt? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you see the logic here? <laughs> like, for an example, not to make this out on myself, but I will make this out on myself. Okay. When I, I cracked my this. when I cracked my tooth, they removed my tooth and it no longer hurt because it was gone. I didn't have a tooth, so I couldn't have a toothache. Okay, but, like, to give it, to give this more legitimacy of, like, saying that there's no lasting symptoms, I think generally, like, you know, where the tooth was, there might have been some lasting pain, some lasting ache, mm. just, like, in the gums, or... Maybe some bleeding. Some bleeding. There, it, it was, do- nothing was documented after the, um, the gun, the gunshot sound, and then the tooth crumbled, and yeah. then, like, it was just... He was completely fine. None of his other teeth exploded. So it's not like this man had a bunch of teeth exploding. It was just one tooth that exploded. And he was completely fine afterwards. In a in another, possibly, potentially, another bout of undermining the dental profession, possible suspects, the tooth fairy. Proceed. We're gonna... <laughs> we're gonna hold we're off gonna on that. We're gonna dissect that. that. We'll, we'll get, we'll, we might get to that later. Okay, guys, we're back. This was all cut out for you, but just to let you guys know, I um, had to move. To pull back the curtain once again. <laughs> oh my gosh, guys, <laughs> I need to cut, I need to pull back the curtain really quick so that you guys know that um, my my computer was running out of battery and I needed to charge it. So hopefully the sound on my end hasn't changed, but in case that it has, I'm sure you can still hear me, so get over it. We're all about transparency Unlike the government. You know, this episode is full of mysteries, but the mystery here for our viewers would never be, how do these people do this podcast? Because we will continue to <laughs> to tell you everything we do, every little step along the way. Uh-huh. Okay, anyways, so we already talked about the priest that Atkinson first documented, and let's go into his next documentation. In 1830... Uh, what was that? 13 years after the original patient, a patient named Letitia D. Very, very first grade. I was Elaine H. Were there multiple Elaines in your first grade? Um, there were multiple Elaines by fifth grade. Why were you H in first grade? Not first grade. If you didn't have... <laughs> I don't even know. Oh what... gosh, every... I don't even know. Because there, was... there, were, there were two Daniels, I think. There were two Daniels and two Nathans. Okay. And I guess in solidarity, we all had last initials then. Well, Letitia D also is in solidarity of these two, Daniels and Nathans. Um, anyways, so she had similar symptoms, but this, for her, it was her upper, one of her upper molars. It didn't, they didn't document which specific one, which I think is very unprofessional. Let me just leave yeah. it at that. One of her upper, one of her upper, upper molars, molars, like. Not even her right or left. Yeah, it's not, like, a specific side. It's, like, just general... One of her upper molars... Anyways, so one of her upper molars had similar symptoms of excruciating pain um, in her case. But her case, as I was alluding to at the beginning with the priest, was a lot less documented. Um, but they included that um, one of her superior molars started aching, and in her agony, it eventually burst, giving her immediate relief in her tooth crumbled to pieces so it's kind of like crumbled similar similar idea okay so on to the final of the three cases that atkinson documents and this was a woman named anna um in 1855 who lived in the same county as the first patient in pennsylvania so it's kind of you know pennsylvania man exploding Mm -hmm. teeth anyways um Mm -hmm. so for her it was her upper left canine um, which I said before is like the, the sharp tooth, um, where similarly agonizing sharp pain was given relief with a very noticeable audible burst of the tooth, which obviously goes in that similar theme. So as you can see, drawing the themes within these three patients, um, they continue to live their lives after these, specific, after these brief moments, these instances, um, without any lasting symptoms except for missing a tooth whatever specific tooth there is. Um, 
I'm wondering what the sound of an exploded tooth sounds like. I mean, the way that it's documented makes it very much sound like it's just like like a firecracker, like a like a pistol shot. They they say, so I don't know. It seems kind of crazy to think that like a firecracker is going off in your mouth, and then all of a sudden you don't have a tooth. Like, like yeah, yeah. there's there's decay in teeth all the time, but is there uh-huh. a true explosion? Uh, no, a crack. A... Exactly. So, um, since Atkinson's publication of these three cases in the dental cosmos in the mid-1800s, the British Dental Journal in 1965 released a follow-up publication, an article um, recounting documented exploding teeth throughout history, um, which largely cited Atkinson's work, but also included some cases that happened since Atkinson, you know, published his own article. But one of the cases included, um, also included a case documented by American dentist J. Phelps Hibbler. Mr. Phelps Hibbler. In 1871, mm-hmm. where a woman, this is also in the United States, so it's like, I swear, like all, all of the exploding teeth in history that I was able to find was in the United States, even though this is published, an American phenomenon. this is published in a British journal, you know, you might think like, oh, maybe there just wasn't. Maybe there isn't, like, known American, like, documentation of of instances that happen outside of the United States. But, I mean, this is a British journal that published an article and all of their sources from, were from the United States. So, uh, I don't know. Just interesting thoughts. So, an American dentist, as I said, in 1871, documents a woman's upper molar... Also, just generally a molar. I'm sure they all have names, but he did not provide one. <laughs> Bursted with such a loud and strong concussion that it knocked her to the ground and caused her to lose her hearing for the following several days. Whoa. So you're at, you were asking, like, what does it sound like? Clearly, it is a loud enough... Yeah. A loud enough crack, a lot, crack, a loud enough presence. burst for it to um, cause someone to lose their hearing, which is crazy mm-hmm. to think about. Um, Interesting. so there's been several documented cases of exploding teeth throughout this, this same similar time period. Obviously, as I said, 1870s, 1800s, the first case was 1817, but what's strange, and they were all in a similar geographically close area, um, mm-hmm. but it's strange that there hasn't been any documented cases of exploding teeth since the 1920s. Um, in an article I read about the cases in the BBC, in the BBC by um, a man named Thomas Morris, who, whose claim to fame is writing about exploding teeth because every article and every source material I can find on the subject <laughs> was, all, was all written by Thomas Morris. It's like he understands his branding. I guess giving the credit where credit's due. If anyone wants to read a book about exploding teeth written by Thomas Morris, you should pick up his book, The Mystery of the Exploding Teeth and Other Curiosities from the History of Medicine. So in this BBC article that I, that I read from him, though, Thomas cites a professor of restorative dentistry at the University of Manchester's School of Dentistry. And is Morris British? He is. Um, but anyway, so this, this professor that he cited, his name is Hugh Devlin, and he basically interviewed him for, um, from this phenomenon and just wanted his uh, expert opinion on it. And this professor claims that he has heard of a lot of teeth cracking or splitting before, but he's never heard of one, quote-unquote, going bang, as we have heard from these Hmm. recounts. So what did cause these teeth to explode is the lasting question. Well, Atkinson, in his uh, case case studies, he um, proposed two hypotheses, to be exact. And the first one that he posed uh, was due to heat. And this hypothesis relies on Lavoisier's caloric fluid theory, which is an outdated scientific theory that um, basically heat, or what is called caloric, uh, was a self-repelling substance, specifically a weightless fluid. Um, And basically, Atkinson believed that somehow some free caloric or some some free heat, this fluid Mm -hmm. that he's describing, somehow snuck its way into these patients' teeth. And since it's a, this self-repelling substance, it repelled itself, built up this pressure, and eventually caused an audible burst. It's interesting how, like, 
so we know how heat works now. Sure. But, like, how imaginative scientists had to be to be, like, heat is this weightless fluid, and it's self-repelling, so it'll explode if it's, like, kept under pressure, you know? Yeah. Like. Yeah. It's interesting scientific hypotheses throughout history. There really is. Anyways, um, his second theory, because his first theory is clearly not valid in current times. Um, his se- second theory talked about dental caries, which is basically caries... <laughs> I see you laughing. Caries is um, a another word for tooth decay or like or bone decay generally or like a cavity. Um, and basically he thought that dental caries potentially caused gas buildup, which eventually led to a resolving explosion. And yes, Elaine's laughing mm. because when reading the word <laughs> carries, I thought for some, I I thought like okay, carries is spelled C A R I E S. So like if I carry something, right? There's like two R's, right? And so uh-huh. like I was like maybe I I initially thought it was carries, but then for some reason I was like that just seems so simple. And I was just, I really, like, tripped yeah. myself on, like, how to pronounce it. I was like, maybe it's carriers or some weird nonsense yeah, or something. Yeah, or Carrie. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't want to sound like a like a dummy or, or not, like, I don't know what I'm talking about if I, <laughs> if I mispronounce the word. So I looked up on YouTube how to pronounce carries, and there is just this absolute beautiful... <laughs> beautiful amazing video that i sent her in which this <laughs> this man literally his i think his whole his whole youtube series is it's called like word world but the l in the second word of world is in parentheses, is in parentheses. so it's like word word but word world old <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's very it's... cute and he um and he all he does is just say words so he's like and yeah. he, he gives their definition. So he's like, carries, bone decay. It's, <laughs> it's just so funny because, like, Cameron sent me this in caps, like, you must watch this now. <laughs> and I see the title and it's like, how to pronounce carries. And I'm like, okay, like, something, like, ridiculous is going to happen. It has to happen. Like, because the title is so normal. Yeah. Like, the humor is that the video will be just ridiculous. And it's literally just <laughs> this man saying carries in the most soothing voice. Like I just <laughs> I I literally was by myself it was a and moment. I legitimately was dying laughing. Like I'm not I'm not even faking <laughs> that. Like I actually was like dying, like audibly laughing. Like this was it was hilarious. Just the way he said it and how serious he was. Go give Word World some views right now and look up Carrie's. <laughs> Seriously though, like all we do is just plug all these other people and it's like I think if, I think if you get anything. Where's our this, plug? We're, I mean, Where's we our are ourselves, right? Like, like watch the voice of brunch and follow us on Instagram, please. Um, yeah, listen to Word World because that was very cool. It was, and it's only twenty two seconds, so you have no excuses. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so going back in case if we forgot what why I said the word, he, he um, <laughs> Atkinson believed that dental caries or tooth decay slash a cavity somehow caused gaseous buildup within a tooth that eventually made it explode. So even though his second theory relies on, like, tooth decay, which is obviously a thing, um, it's highly unlikely. Um, Devlin, the, the professor of dentistry that I previously cited, he explained in an interview that, quote-unquote, the 19th century dentists didn't understand caries. They thought it came from within the tooth. It's only in the last century that we started understanding that caries is caused by diet and bacteria building up on the surface of teeth. So clearly the idea that there's caries within the tooth causing gaseous buildup is not valid within medical terms or dental terms currently. So what is the actual cause of this phenomenon? Well, the reason why I'm talking about it is because it remains a mystery to this day. So, was it a reaction between hydrogen and metal alloys used in teeth fillings of the time? Who knows? (laughs) Was the tooth very, very, very mad at them? Possible suspect. (laughs) I'm saying. I called it in the beginning. Is the Santa Claus real? That's a given. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, just like the infamous sucker commercial once proclaims, the world may never know. Mm. Hey, Elaine. 
Yes, Cameron? How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? (laughs) (laughs) I literally saw an infographic on it, though. On Facebook, it was like, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? And there was, like, graphics with, like, this is the point in the middle where you're halfway through. And then this is what it looks like in the end. Are you citing some, like, specific, like, thing? Like, some specific, like, actual study into this? Someone made a video. I didn't watch it. Oh, okay. I've never watched that. I think mysteries um, are fun to leave in their ignorance sometimes. Um, It's like, how many looks? I don't know. A one, a two, a three, and then an owl bites it. Yeah. And the real number will never be as, as exciting as us guessing. There we go. Anyways, Elaine, there is the story of exploding teeth. You know, when you were talking about the second the second theory about tooth decay, mm-hmm. I was like, like a really sick part of me was thinking like, what if I just didn't brush one tooth and just like put some syrup on it and like let it decay so I could have my tooth explode and really discover the answer to this. I think that like generally that won't happen. You know, because, yeah. like, you'd probably just get a cavity. Unfortunately, this is a very, very, very uncommon event in dental history. So if you want your tooth to explode for whatever sick reasons, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I would suggest don't just have cavities because... Yeah, maybe put some, like, gunpowder in there. Sure. I, I guess. <laughs> Please don't put gunpowder in your teeth, but, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's rough that it's so uncommon. Is that rough? Is that rough? <laughs> is the, like, the alternative really is every time you get a cavity, your teeth explode? Like, yeah, that sounds a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're just gone at that point. Like, you don't have to worry about it. But thank you for that story, Cameron. Of course. I'm here for you, Elaine, and whatever, whatever you need. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> and so, as we finish our brunch, we leave you with our tip. My tip, life is a circus. You can either sit in the audience or walk behind the scenes. As someone who has witnessed backstage Disney, I recommend the former. What do you mean that you have witnessed the backstage Disney? Like, I've never heard it's this. Like- you go to Disneyland and you go backstage and like literally Peter Pan smoking. You saw Peter Pan smoking at Disneyland. He was sitting against the wall, looking very tired. He very easily could have had a cigarette in his hand. Okay. <laughs> I'd cry. <laughs> I'd cry if I saw that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You don't want to go to backstage Disney. You want to go to front stage Disney. And you don't need to know the answer to all these mysteries. Stay in front stage Disney and... That's an amazing tip, Elaine. That's an amazing tip. Um, My brunch tip of the day for our viewers is that dental hygiene is important. And if you ever have a splitting toothache, go to a dentist. Or like, I guess maybe you could just write it out because it might just explode and then you'll be fine. Just kidding. I support that. I really want my tooth to explode. Just kidding. Just kidding. Go to a dentist. (laughs) your tooth won't explode, you'll just get cavities and it'll just get worse. Like, please go to a dentist. If, <laughs> it's like you have to add a disclaimer to this tip because people like Elaine will I don't like, want to. I don't want to promote, like, bad dental hygiene. <laughs> like, seriously. The, the legitimate brunch tip and the brunch tip that is always there, even though we might not say it, like, the default brunch tip is always good dental hygiene. And that is as someone... I'm not, I'm not a future dentist of America. I really am not. But, uh-huh. I mean, you know... Health is important, and teeth are a part of your health, so. Okay, I'm going to brag a little bit. I recently adopted a more rigorous dental hygiene routine, which involves mouthwashing twice a day, brushing twice a day, and flossing once a day, and brushing my teeth again for a third time if I drink coffee. And I have been, I religiously followed this routine for at least two weeks. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> I don't even know. 
Like, like, I want to clap for you. I think you deserve an actual award. Like, thank you, thank you. Anyways, anyways, we digress. So, mm-hmm. signing off. My name is Cameron Ostert. My name is Elaine Huynh. And together we are the boys. The boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's